I mean, I've not seen passion from a pastor and his wife like this in any church that we go to for the congregation. I just, you know, really. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And so tonight, uh, we spoke about it a little bit this morning, and um, we talked about love. You went to chapter 13, didn't you, Pastor? Thank you for letting us come, and we're going to spend time there. But I want to talk to you just a little bit about uh, a story that I heard first. I heard a, a story about a guy that was an actor. And this fellow was playing Jesus in, passion, in a Passion of the Christ type play. And it was a big production. And this guy was carrying his cross. And there were all these hecklers and people around that were all part of the, well, maybe part of the play, but this one. And he just was walking right there with him and just continually over the top heckle. This guy finally, this actor finally had all of it that he could stand. So he drops his cross and he goes over into the crowd and punches the guy in the face. <laughs> so he goes back, he picks his cross up and he goes and finishes the play. Well, the director, after it was all over, said, look, man, I've got to fire you because you're playing Jesus and we can't have Jesus getting heckled and going and punching out the people that are here to watch us. He goes, no, just give me, just please give me a second chance. Just give me a second chance. I know I can do it. So he gives him a second chance. And about that time, he's at that same point. He's got that cross. And this guy is just, man, his veins are sticking out. And he's just right there with him. You'd have thought, you know, yesterday would have taught him. And this guy goes, I know I can do it. Man, he's gritting his teeth and he's all balled up on that cross. And he says, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And this guy's just in his face. And finally the guy just stops that's playing Jesus. And he looks at the heckler and he says, Buddy, I will see you after the resurrection. <laughs> huh? What do you think about that, Pastor? You know, sometimes it's hard for those of us to profess who professed that we're Christians to behave like a Christian. We try to carry our crosses, but if someone crosses us, we tend to lose our composure and behave in much the same way that the rest of the world behaves. So the question is, is where is the love? Where is the love and where is the compassion? The Bible teaches us that we are to be people to exercise love in all of our relationships and with one another. If you would back there, I've got a little something I'd like for you to listen to. If you would, go ahead and if it'll still work. I want you to hear this real quick. Turn it up. You must try to That's enough. What's love got to do with it? Yeah. It's a secondhand emotion. And that's really what the title of my message is for you tonight is 
is what does love have to do with it? What does love have to do with anything? And so, I want you to listen to some words out of Scripture. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love in Ephesians 4.2. Again, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy in Hebrews 2.14. Now, these two Scriptures, you know, they say the same thing, but sometimes it's difficult because not everybody is easy to love. I'm with, I'm, I, I can understand that. But we're all to live in peace and harmony and love with everybody. So tonight, uh, my job uh, is to try to take this question of love and this word love, which is God. It's mentioned 622 times in Scripture. What my job is tonight is to look at the first three verses and to try to put this word love into its proper place. So many times you will hear things like, oh, I love you. I love sushi. I love country music. I love fishing. I love shooting ducks. I love just bull riding. Fill in the blank. The word love is just used to a point to where it almost doesn't seem like it means a whole lot anymore. Does, that, does this make sense? Okay. I want to reset where love is in its proper place. And the best way to do that is to go through God's word. So we're going to start here in 1 Corinthians 13. Got your Bibles? Go to 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to read together verses 1 through 3. Pastor read this morning the whole chapter. I'm going to read, and, and, and we're going to work out of 1 through 3. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but... Have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, and have not love. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Paul says here in the, that love is important. It's more important than actually spiritual gifts. That's what he's telling us. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not loved, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal in verse 1. And on the day of Pentecost, when the very first gospel sermon was ever preached, God gave the apostles, the special gift of being able to speak in languages that they had never heard before so they or learned so that the people that were around could understand what was being spoke to them. But here in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that if God gave them the gift of speaking every human language and even the heavenly language of the angels, he didn't, and he didn't have love, then he would be nothing more than a noisy gong in a cymbal. And so that confused me a little bit. Why would he refer to it as a gong or a cymbal? And back in, back in those days, there was always a big gong or a cymbal hanging at the entrance of every pagan temple. And so when people would come to the temple and they would want to wake the gods up to pray to some god that didn't even exist, they would bang the cymbal or they would bang the big piece of metal, the gong, to wake up the non-existent gods. 
But Paul's saying here, <clears throat> if, if we were so blessed that we could speak in the greatest of eloquence in every language, but we don't have love, then this life is, is useless and it's ridiculous. And it's, it's like the act of pounding on a, gung, on a gong. See, love is more important than any spiritual gift. Verse 2, Paul says that love is more important than knowledge. If you have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul says that even if you know it all, if you know everything there is to know about nuclear science, about medicine, philosophy, psychology, and all those other ologies, if you know it all but you don't have love, Pastor, you're nothing at all. So why Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 8, Got your Bible? This is important for some Christian folks that really know the word. It said your knowledge puffs you up. But love builds you up. You ever been around somebody that can quote the word, knows where everything's at, knows where every waypoint is, and it's like talking to somebody that's been baptized in pickle juice? They're just miserable folks. You know what I mean? They don't have any love in them. I don't think we need more knowledge as much as we need more love. For the hearts of the people need to change before society will ever change. And I'm going to tell you right now, this place right here and other churches like it are the only hope for America today. Woo! Period. <laughs> Thirdly, Paul says that love is more important than faith. Mm, really? Now, he doesn't say faith isn't in, is not important. He just says that love is more important. He says, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. So, but what is your faith? What do you believe tonight? Do you believe that God is the creator of the world? Do you believe Jesus Christ is his only begotten son, and he came into the world a sinless life, and he came into the world to save your life? That he died and was buried, and on the third day he rose again? Is that what you believe here tonight, church? Well, if you believe all those things, then that's great. I commend you for it, because it's all truth. But the Bible teaches that if you believe all the right things, but you do not have love, then you're nothing. Because even faith is of no value unless it is backed up by love. Remember the illustration in, in the parable in, in, in Scripture about the guy that's laying beside the road and the priest and the, the Levite, they walk by. It's the Good Samaritan parable. And they had all the knowledge that they needed, but they walked by as he was laying there dying. The reason that they did is they didn't have love or compassion, but they had knowledge. I want to say something to you. Someone with an experience with the Holy Spirit and with God will never be at the mercy of someone who has a head full of knowledge. I want to just tell you that right now. That's out there for somebody right now. In Galatians 5, 6, Paul says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Galatians 5, 6. 
fourth thing that Christians think are so important, and they are, is generosity. Who was here just a few weeks ago, got to spend a little time with you and talk about serving and giving? Right? There was a bunch, yeah, quite a few people were here. Generosity. Paul says, if I have all, give all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I want you to notice that he doesn't say if I give 10%. He says if I empty, doesn't say if I empty my checking account, if I cash in my insurance policies, if I give everything away to help the poor and even sacrifice myself, but I don't have love, then I gain nothing at all. I think we're starting to see right now that this love thing that God's talking about is very important to him. You see, generosity by itself is not enough. I get calls all the time from all kinds of special interest groups and wanting money for something, help us do this, we're doing a fundraiser for that. And at times it makes me think about it and it's like, why would I want to give? Do I give to the church and to wealthy, to worthy causes because the pastor says that I'm supposed to do that? Or because that I feel guilty or know somebody that's been stricken with some disease? Or do I give because I want to impress the people that are around me? If the only reason that I give is to receive a benefit for myself, then love is absent. God says he loves a cheerful giver. If you're not giving through love and out of love, don't give. The motive for giving should be love. Love for God and love for God's people. Paul is saying that love is more important than spiritual gifts, more important than knowledge, more important than faith, and more important than generosity. Now, I'm not trying to, to put any of those anywhere other than where they belong, but they belong right below love in order. It's interesting how we express our love. If you want to know somebody's treasure, you just look at their checkbook and where they spend their time. That's the treasure of their heart. Always. It never lies. And so we just had the, the Super Bowl. Anybody watch the Super Bowl? A lot of people like football or love football. Y'all may start saying like versus love on football, right? Well, I heard a story about the Super Bowl 50. Right on the 50-yard line, there was a couple that had a guy sitting in front of them with a single seat that was empty. Well, on the 50-yard line at the Super Bowl, right close, those seats were probably six or $8,000 a piece is what I'm guessing. That's why I wasn't there. You know what I mean? So they were talking between themselves, and the first quarter was over with. And they went back and forth, and finally the guy couldn't stand it. He said, you know... Taps the guy on the shoulder and he said, brother, I just have to know, do you have someone that's coming because this seat is empty and we know these are expensive seats. And he said, no, this seat actually was for my wife. We had this goal. We bought these tickets and we wanted to be here together for this, this occasion. It's really something we've dreamed about. And he just didn't say anything else. And the guy said, well, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. Why, why isn't she here? And he said, well, my wife just recently passed away. And this was going to be her seat. The guy was like, man. And then he thought to himself, he said, well, surely you have some kids or some family members? He said, absolutely I do. I have a lot of kids and quite a few family members. And he goes, well, 
Is there any way that any of those people could take advantage of this seat? I mean, it's the Super Bowl, isn't it? He said, yeah. This guy said, yeah, I really love the Super Bowl. He said, but none of them could be here. They're all at the funeral. What do you love? You'll be known by your fruit. What priorities do you put in, in front of love of, of what it should be? Do you elevate your spouse above God? Do you elevate your kids or your hobby or your sport above God? Or do you have God as the focus of your life and your love for Him and then your focus for your spouse and then your kids and then your work from there? Do you have things in order? Or is the treasure of your heart a little fouled up? I think it's easy sometimes to see what we put priorities on when you spend time around people. Practicing love in our everyday lives. So obviously love is important, much more maybe than we ever realized. Let's listen to what Jesus says in John 13, 34, if you would go there. 13, 34. It says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is critical. Notice that Jesus says in this commandment, it's not a suggestion. And God never commands us to do anything that we cannot do. So now we're headed to a place that hopefully you'll make this trip with me. We tend to think that love is something that just happens because that's what the world teaches us. You fall in love like you fall into a ditch. You fall out of love like you fall out of a tree. You can't help it. It's just something that happens. I just am crazy about this guy or this girl. Do you remember this old song? I'm not going to sing it. The one is, I can't help falling in love with you. Remember that song? Right? Okay. Here's another one. You've lost that love and feet. Right? Okay. Now you see. Yeah, I teach marriage classes. I don't preach or sing, really. And what's this other one? You've lost the loving feeling again. Again, I love you. Please tell me your name. Remember that one? Anyone? Okay. All right. That's some pretty deep stuff. Something, does anyone here, can you remember like old disco songs or old country songs, but you can't remember scripture? Anybody here with me? Oh, everybody ought to raise their, anyway, okay. All right. That didn't cost anything extra. The Bible teaches us that love is something that we can control. God commands us to love each other, which means that I can decide to love you, and you can decide to love me. So this is not a hopeless situation at all. If you're here today and you don't feel love, the Father loves you. And He's crazy about you. And if you're here and you have a situation with your marriage, and you say, well, I just don't love this person any longer. Love's a choice. You've made a choice not to love. You can make, the same, make another choice to love. That's what the Word tells us. Now, what kind of love are we talking about here? In Philippians 2, Paul tells us that each of you should look not only on, at your own interests, but also the interest of others. In other words, to love in the same way that Jesus loved. Think about others and their interests just like you think about yourself and your interests. 
You become unselfish. Now let's apply that in several different areas of our life. First of all, see how that would work if let's suppose that every person in here tonight made a decision to go home and start practicing love in their family. Let's just go there for a second. Let's start with our spouse. If we started giving unconditional love to our spouse, what would that look like? And you ought to love your husband and your wife first and most other than God. You ought to be kinder and more tender, more gentle to them, even if they're behaving like jerks. Begin first in your marriage relationship. And pretty soon it'll filter down to your children, to your job, to your church. It begins in the family and it spills over into the church. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, is what it says in John 13, 35. We will be known by our fruit, it also says. And how do you communicate with the ones that are closest to you? Do you speak to them in love? I'm just going to let each one of you think about that right now. When you speak to people in your family, do you speak to them in love? It says, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. Do you speak to them in love? Are there places in your heart that you need to get fixed and repaired and have some things replaced in it? Are you searching for happiness in your life or are you searching for joy? How do you speak to your people closest to you? We've all heard this phrase that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Boy, is that a lie. Anybody that's been around somebody that's got a hateful tongue can tell you those, those wounds are hard to heal. It says the power of the tongue is life or death. Whew. There aren't many things that can carry more power in life than the way we communicate with each other. I want to just say something to you. Do you know the person who has the most impact on you with their words every single day? Do you know who that person is? This is for somebody. Me. This self-talk. I can't believe how stupid you are. Here we go again. We're going to be broke. We're not, this isn't going to work. That isn't going to work. She isn't going to work. He isn't going to work. Some of that is just the natural part of us. Other parts of it coming from your enemy so that you'll know tonight your enemy is not your spouse the enemy is the enemy I just thought I'd give that to you that's just okay that'll probably help somebody the Bible tells us over and over the great power that's in our speech unfortunately it's much easier for us to use speech in a negative way than a positive way what is on the news is there a good news channel yet? It's way easier to lash out at people than it is to use our speech to build them up. How can that be? Because it's a lack of love. But when we choose to use our speech to lash out at people who've harmed us, who've hurt our feelings, all we're doing is throwing gas on the fire. 
All we're doing is rubbing salt in the wound. All we know what happens when we put salt in a cut. We know what it feels like. It stings, it hurts, it typically causes a bad reaction. That's the one thing Jesus tells us. is The best way to respond to our enemies is by blessing them. Kind speech has a way of working as a slave to heal wounds in people's lives. Salve, excuse me. Kind speech has a way of working as salve to heal wounds. Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Can you think of an example in your life when you said something when someone said something to you that brought encouragement to you and brought you hope and brought you love. Some of you may experience the wonderful joy of making a mistake with your spouse, something you know is going to not go over well and make them angry. Instead of responding in anger, they came to you and said, I love you and it's going to be just fine. And you know what? In six months, we'll never remember this. Isn't it great when someone something like that happens? It totally changes your mood. It causes you to put your defenses down and causes you to relax. As a matter of fact, a kind word, a word of encouragement can actually remove the anger a person has towards you. In Proverbs 15.1, it says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I really believe that most of us probably would have fewer enemies if we learned to speak in a way that built people up instead of tearing them down. I am talking to the church. This isn't for everybody that's out there. It's for everybody that's in here. Kind words soften spirits. Let me give you an example. A Christian lady owned a couple of prized chickens and they got out of their run. She looked up and they were over in the other neighbor's yard in his garden just picking stuff apart. And the guy had a fit. And he ran out there and grabbed them up and rang their necks and killed them and threw them over her fence. Well, you can imagine she was pretty well heartbroken and upset. So what did she do? She took them inside. And she made some chicken pot pie. I think we saw them at Ryan's today at lunch and took those chicken pot pies and took them back over and gave them to him. And when she handed him the chicken pot pies, here's what he did. He apologized and he apologized for being angry. And he couldn't believe how he had acted. Did she come over and tell him that he did wrong? Or did she come over and just give him some love, give him some compassion back and grace and mercy? You ever around anybody that immediately just ticks you off or rubs up against you in their personalities? You may work with them. You actually might have married them. I don't know that for sure. But do you understand what I'm saying? The next time you're around a person that just automatically ticks you off, think of a kind word or a deed to share with them. And do it because you want to do it. Because you want to be more like Jesus. So many times in the church, people get run off in the church. 
And I know there's issues in churches because there's people in it. But here's the thing I've always seen in Scripture, not in any area have I ever seen where Jesus was thinking about replacing one of the disciples. No matter what they did, he gave the ultimate grace, love, and mercy to them. As a matter of fact, when he came back, he said this, go get my disciples and Peter, the ultimate grace and the ultimate love. So when, so when you have an enemy and you have somebody that's doing something that's not working, the first response that you have is to do good to those who hate. The second response is to bless those who curse you. And the final response would be is to pray for those who curse you. That's the way the world will find out that the message of Jesus is valid. And if we really love each other the way Jesus loved us, then we have to develop in our own lives the same kind of compassion. Well, we're down through it. I'm getting close. I remember a time where my little girls, one was seven, the oldest one, the other one was probably three, four. I put the little pony in my little pony. Anybody, my little pony? And they'd put their little chairs there, man, they'd watch that, and in the funny parts they would laugh, and the sad parts they would cry. It's interesting to me that they would have compassion that early and joy and laughter so early in life. The world hadn't gotten away. And have you ever been caught up in a story where it, it just pulled you in? Where you felt compassion for somebody? You felt love for them? When you do it, it causes you to have questions inside, usually when you have compassion for people. Questions like, what's it like being sick and knowing that you're not going to get well and wanting more than anything else to live? What is it like? What is it like to be handicapped? What is it like to be a minority? What's it like dealing with marital problems or domestic problems? What's it like? What kind of burdens are people carrying and do we care enough to help them bear those burdens? Are we a, a, a church that loves or a church that questions? That's what it means when Jesus talks about loving one another as he's loved us. There's a story real quick of Doug Nichols who was a missionary to India. And I think it illustrates what I've been trying to say to you this evening. See, Doug Nichols, he went to India, and while he was studying the language, which he had to do, he came down with a very, very uh, bad case of tuberculosis, and he had to be put in a sanitarium. Quite frankly, in India, in a sanitarium, wasn't a very good place. It wasn't clean. The conditions were difficult because there's so many people sick. Doug decided to do the best he could, and so he had taken some Christian books and some tracts and he tried to witness to the other patients in the sanitarium, but no one would listen to him. He tried over and over, but he was handicapped because of his language. 
his inability to communicate. He felt discouraged. He tried to pass out all the stuff, but no one would take him. Here he was because of his illness, and he would be there for a long time. And so the work that God had for him, he didn't see it really ever getting done. Because of his tuberculosis every night about two, Doug said he would wake up in a bad coughing spell. And one night when he woke up, he looked across the aisle and there was an old man laying in bed. The old man rolled himself up in a little ball and he rolled back and forth and back and forth trying to get momentum to get up and stand to his feet. But he just couldn't do it. He was too weak. And finally, after several attempts, this old man just laid back in his bed. And he started to cry. The next morning, Doug understood why the man was crying and why he had wept. Because he was trying to get up to go to the bathroom. And there was a strong stench in the air, and the bed was a mess. The other patients, they made fun of this old man. The nurses came to clean up his bed, and they weren't kind to him at all. As a matter of fact, one of them slapped him in the face as they were making fun of him, and Doug said the old man just laid there and took it and laid back and cried. Doug said the next morning at 2, he started coughing again. He looked across, and the old man was trying to get out of bed once more. He didn't know really what to do, but what he did do is, is he got the energy up to go over and get this old man and try to help him stand. The old man was too weak to stand. So Doug said that he picked him up. He was so light. And he carried him like a baby into the bathroom, which was nothing more than a big, dirty hole in the floor. And he stood behind him and he supported him as he took care of himself. Then he carried him back to his bed and laid him down. And Doug says as he turned to leave, the old man reached up and grabbed his face and pulled him close and he kissed him on the cheek and he said what he thought he said was thank you. Next morning there were patients waiting when Doug awoke and they asked if they could read some of those books and some of those tracts that he had brought. Others had questions about God and, and that he had worshipped and this son that came into the world to die for their sins. Doug Nichols said that in the next few weeks he gave out all of his literature that he had brought and during the months that he was there, many of the patients and even the doctors and nurses in the sanitarium came to accept Jesus as their Savior too. Doug said this, he said, now what did I do? Was that his plan to go and save India? He didn't even preach a sermon. He couldn't even communicate very well in their language. He didn't have a brilliant lesson to teach them or a wonderful things to show them. He was sick. All he did was take an old man to the bathroom. And anyone can do that. Someone once said that they won't, they won't, they don't really want to know how much you know until they know how much you care.
And I think that's the challenge for the church today is to care for those who can't care for themselves, to love people where they are. If we are going to be the only hope for America, it will be through one thing, and that will be through love, and that's Christ's love. So I want to say this to you. In John 3.16, he says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's the ultimate sacrifice. That's the ultimate love is to give a child. If you can think about giving your child, that's what God has done for each and every person in this room tonight. So I'm curious right now if you would just if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a few minutes with me if you would we're going to wrap this thing up. I want you to just take a minute and think about the things that you've heard tonight, maybe some of the notes that you've taken. When people see you, what do they see? When people around you, what do they feel? When things are difficult, how do you react? See, love is a choice. Love is a choice. What areas do you need to improve in? What I'd like for you to do is you, as you have your eyes closed and your head bowed, I'd just like for you to spend a little time with the Father right now in the areas that the Holy Spirit just wakes up in you and just says, that's it, that's it. These are the areas of your life I want you, daughter, son, to improve on. These are the areas where I want to be able to reflect my light and my glory better through you. I want to use you, but your lack of love in these areas, it's blocking me from doing that. I just want you to ask him right now, right where you're at, in the way that you do it, how you pray to him, you pray to him. Whatever that looks like. Seeking an answer from him. And I know this, if you're sitting there and you're holding something against somebody right now, if you've got some unforgiveness in your heart, God says, if you're unable to forgive, I'm unable to forgive you. So ask his forgiveness right now. Go ahead and get yourself loose from that. Say, Lord, speak to me right now. Fill me with your spirit, God. Renew my walk with you, O Lord. Let me be your light. Let me be the ambassador, Lord, that you've created me to be. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much. I love you. I love you. Hallelujah, amen. Robert Kim, thank y'all for being here today. You are such a blessing to my life and this church's life, Lord. I, I tell Robert when he's ready for a job, I'm ready to hire him. Uh, 
He said, boy, you go, go, go. I'll be over here one of these days. But we want to start a men's ministry uh, like he does over in his side of town. So me and that, we hope to get that started pretty quick. So if anybody's interested in that, let us know. Uh, it be a morning ministry. Uh, I want to thank you guys for staying. I know you got to go, and I'm not going to talk at all. I just want to say you all been a blessing to us tonight, a real big blessing to us. And I was thinking about what love looks like, and I was reminded of this story I heard, and I'm done. It was of this kid walking home from school, and he saw this sign on a chain-link fence that said, Puppies for Sale. And he stuck his old face up to the fence, and he was looking for puppies, and he couldn't see any puppies. And old farmer walked out and said, kid, can I help you? He said, well, I seen your song, sign that said you had puppies for sale. He said, sure do. Got some black labs. They're, they're good dogs. They're fine dogs. They're awesome dogs. He said, he said uh, you want to see them? And he said, yeah, I want to see them just like a kid's eyes. They just lit up. I want to see them. I want to see them. I want to see them. And uh so the old man whistled, and here come Molly. He said, Molly, come on, Molly. And out the doghouse she come with ten little pups just following behind her. And the old kid's eyes lit up. He started smiling, jumping up and down. He said, I want one, I want one, I want one. And all these little pups just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And, and, and one little pup, he kind of stuck his head out the out the out the doghouse and looked around. There was like ten running after Mama, but there was one that stuck his head out the doghouse, and, and and finally he came down. But one of his legs didn't work very good, and he was trying to get to his brothers and sisters, and he was trying to get to his mom, but his leg didn't work very good. And when the kid saw that little puppy, his eyes just lit up. He's like, I want that one right there. I want that one right there. I want that one that just got out the house. How much are they? And, and the farmer said, man, those dogs are $100, but you don't want that one. He was born with a, a birth defect, and his leg is not as good as the other ones. And uh, he don't run, and he'll probably never be able to hunt and fetch and play as good as the other ones. He said, you don't want that one. And the kid mustered up enough. He said, I want that one. And he pulled out about 32 cents worth of change. He said, how much are your dogs, mister? How much are your dogs? Do I have enough money to buy a dog? He said, oh, son, my dogs are $100 a piece." He said, but I want that one right there, the last one. The farmer said, you want that one? You tell me why you want that one. And the little boy pulled his pants legs up, and he had braces on his legs too. You see, we relate to people. When we do it with our heart. We love them right where they are. God will show himself in that. And I'm going to tell you something. That farmer's heart broke. He said, you keep your money and you can have that pup. And that dog grew up with that boy. And so did love grew up. You know, let your love grow tonight. Amen. Let your love grow. Look for the best in people. Stay hooked in revival too. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, stay hooked. It's going to touch your life. Pastor Collier will be here tomorrow. My wife and the ladies have some refreshments back there for you guys.
stay in fellowship. Make sure you stop by the table back there. Shake Kevin and Angela's hand. Again, tell Robert Kim how much you appreciate him. God bless you tonight. God bless you. Have a wonderful night. Give God a praise. Amen. <laughs>